Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta, the new energy experts. In the podcast, we'll be exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, I'm talking with Christina Rabasaita, founder and CEO of Papaya. Some listeners will already realize the clever play on letters. Papaya focuses on power purchase agreements, PPA, and helping renewable generators get the best price for the power they generate. Now, Papaya is a relatively young company founded only in 2021, and I'm excited today to be exploring both the role that Papaya is filling in the energy transition and Christina's own experience in founding and growing Papaya. Hello, Christina. Hi, thanks for having me. And welcome. Um, Christina, let's start with the role that Papaya is filling in the energy transition. Why did you start uh, Papaya and tell us a bit about the gap or opportunity or problem that you saw? Yes, so um, I've been um, sort of working in the energy industry uh, for nearly 10 years now, and um, i not as long as uh, you or, or a lot of people in the industry, but uh, just you're, long... making, you're making me feel old, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I've um, obviously focused on one thing mostly, which is the power purchase agreements. Um, and um, I'm you sort of after you've structured and executed and signed, you know, a, a good thousand power purchase agreements, you start to see how certain steps of a process could be made better and i guess mm-hmm. that's what encouraged me to um set up papaya so um there was sort of one of the things about sort of the energy industry although we are innovating quite a lot on sort of the, the flexibility side the battery side there's not been much innovation on sort of the more basic products which is the power purchase agreements for wind hydro and sort of solar sites it's all done manually so tell us a, tell us a bit about those for listeners that aren't familiar or don't work in the world of power purchase agreements. Just some basics like who are your typical customers and what are they signing? So um, every power renewable power generator um, needs a contract that will allow them to sell their renewable power onto the market. And, and there's only uh, a few licensed suppliers that can buy that electricity and then sell it into the market. So I think what people don't understand uh, or uh, sort of uh, don't know is that if you build a wind turbine in the back of your garden, uh, you can't just plug it in and you know sell it to to the national grid. You need somebody like you know guys like EDF or Total or Onji. Uh, to purchase that electricity and sell it on your behalf, so somebody with a with a license that will do that. So those agreements are called power purchase agreements. Okay, and from what you're saying, there's some technology innovation or process efficiency. Is that the right sort of words? Tell us a bit more well, about that. That's right. So I guess um, because I worked for a utility and I was purchasing renewable power on their behalf, and I've I've done it all manually and all in email. Um, and um, what I guess I realized doing that, which was the best time, um, you know, to actually learn the process, is that 80% of those executions are completely the same. 
and, right. and technology is brilliant at doing one thing a thousand times correctly. So I guess what we're trying to do with Papaya is to take the exact same process uh, that exists right now and automate some of the steps to help to make that process as fast and you know as error-free as possible. Um, and then that, that's where Papaya steps in, and that's how um, so, uh, we set up to act as a you know platform, the marketplace in the middle that will connect the people that are generating electricity and those that are buying it, and to make it the process as smooth as it uh, can possibly be. And by being as smooth as it can be, undoubtedly that makes it a nicer experience for generators and suppliers. But I, presumably that drives out cost and enables either generators to get a better price or suppliers to save money, I guess? Naturally. So um, first of all, um, we're trying to remove, and I guess uh, one of our big focus is to sort of take as much pressure as we possibly can from the utilities. Um, because what happens now, especially with the market consolidating, right, nearly, um, well, not nearly, over 30 utilities, 30 suppliers, licenses, licensed suppliers have gone under. So the company in the market is not what it used to be um, so what happens now is that generators are having to compete for prices so utilities are, um, are being completely overwhelmed and what we're trying to do is take some pressure off of them um, so they can serve more customers and um, if we're removing some of the load hopefully they can pass better prices on to the to the end customer so, so that's that's the point and as we get more and more distributed generation, so I guess renewable generation, some of it will be huge wind farms, offshore wind farms, for example, huge solar farms. But I are you seeing as well a continued rise in a farmer with a wind turbine or these smaller distributed sites or your customers tend to be across the board in different types of renewable generators? So um, we work with everybody with any size generator from rooftop solars to the very large transmission connected sites up in Scotland. Um, in terms of the rise um, of uh, generators, since the subsidies were sort of cut, um, there, there was very little action in the market in terms of new build sites and subsidy free sites. And what made sense was scale. Uh, that's why a lot of uh, larger sites have been built. So the funds with a lot more cash um, continued, not as fast, but they they are the only ones that continued to build uh, subsidy-free sites. But unfortunately, farmers and sort of smaller scale people um, and generators were not able to do that up until very recently, until obviously the crisis lifted up the prices quite a lot and it started to make sense. So even the smaller uh, generators started to scramble to get connections and and try and put as much as they can to to fill to fill the uh, sort of the gaps that they had. So um, we've seen de a definite rise in in more all size generation assets, um, but we'll see as the prices come down that might it might fade again. Yeah. Okay. So marketplace for generators, big and small alike, uh, connecting the generators with the the buyers, the utilities. Um, can you bring it to life a bit for our listeners and just give an example of part of a step, that inefficient process, and what you're doing to make that more efficient or help uh, help listeners sort of see what this marketplace looks like and how it, it drives efficiency? 
So I guess one of the key features, one of the key things that I wanted to achieve with this marketplace um, is to adapt to the changing market uh, market conditions. Mm. So uh, one thing we know uh, that is sort of happening is that we're going to see and are seeing a lot more volatility than we did five years ago. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I want Papaya to be able to take advantage of and support, and that's how we really add value, uh, support the generators, is um, we uh, built uh, a few features that basically allow the generators to run themselves a quote without having to go to any utilities. So they don't have to wait a week or two to to know what they can earn. Uh, So they can do it um, on on Papaya's platform. Then they they can use another tool that I call the slider. Um, I probably should think of a better name soon. But uh, what the slider allows to do is for them to set a calculated target price for the electricity. So let's say they can earn £100 today but it's not quite enough uh, to you know to to cover their costs so they need 110 um so the slider will tell them the probability chance of that price being achieved given how many months they've got until their renewal yeah so although it's an estimated guess right because nobody knows what the market's going to do and um, it's still the most calculated guess you can take um yep. and um, so they set themselves a target price and um, and then they leave it with us. And um, so what we've done instead of so the normal process in the industry is to you know hold a tender once or twice a year. So you will hold a competitive tender. Five or so suppliers will bid. You'll pick the top supplier, and then you know the job done, uh, done and dusted. You you've got a con- contract for the year. But the problem is when a generator sets a date when they want to tender for their power purchase agreement. It might not be the right day in terms of power price, right? You yeah, might be so. the most competitive party that day, but you might not might have not chosen the right day to do it. So they're so locking in that particular price rather than being able to take advantage of the volatility in the market. The volatility. So the whole point of Papaya is that we're get, across every single customer, and some customers set several targets because uh, they've got larger assets, they can split them, they set different targets for different seasons. So what, what we tend to do is, well, not tend to do, what we do is we track uh, the market for them every single morning. So we will run prices across every single asset, every single target price, and see where they are. Um, and as soon as that target can be achieved, or we're getting close to achieving it, we'll issue them a firm offer that they can accept that same day. Okay. So instead of tendering once or twice a year, we now can do it every single day. And presum- means- Sorry. But presumably, the the direction of the market, I saw on LinkedIn a, a great graph the other day, which was um, the price for a megawatt hour uh, over the hours of the year. And it showed a large number of hours where the price is very low and a small number of hours where the price can be very high. So we're moving much more in that direction where volatility, the, the days of baseload, mid-merit and peaking are sort of probably not gone, but a much more volatile market. So presumably, this is going to become more and more important uh, to be able to lock in at different times and capture the benefits of that volatility. Well, exactly. And I think to do that, you need technology to help you. Yeah. There's no way that anybody can track this manually or inform you when it, you know you have to get a computer to be able to look at the power prices 
and match them against hundreds and thousands of generators and trigger the ones that um, are, are ready to sign up. And um, people just don't have the time to not even, you know, f- let alone farmers. So farmers, mm. you know, they've got 10, 20 other jobs to do. Yeah. They're not going to sit at their screen and, and watch the power markets, you know, go up and down every day. They need somebody like us to to make sure that we capture the price at the right time. Well, I did uh, I did talk to someone in the Netherlands where there's a lot of uh, gas-fired combined heat and power in greenhouses. And some of the greenhouse owners apparently were making more money on the the energy exchange uh, than they were growing flowers or tulips or cucumbers. So some of them were spending more time looking at the energy market than tending to their, their crops in the greenhouses. But I'm sure I that's not typical. going to change soon with prices uh, coming down to, yeah. to norm, normal yeah. levels again. Uh, is there not, how do, how do you help generators avoid the troughs? So those large number of hours where the prices are really low. Is that so? I guess our generators. The whole point is that we fix them in um, before their contract goes live, so they're they're not exposed to hourly prices or half hourly prices. Yeah, um, we they they get a fixed contract and they know exactly what they're going to earn for every megawatt hour in advance, and uh, that's just of the the security and the, sort of the, the certainty that they have. So they're avo- they're avoiding fixing at a trough, basically. Um. Well, exactly. So yeah. What was I don't know if you saw the um, news from sort of the bank holiday weekend. We had a very sunny and windy weekend, and um, a few hours uh, on Sunday, uh, we got minus one hundred and fifty pounds per megawatt hour prices. So if anybody was on a system price where they were taking you know, half hourly prices and haven't fixed it in advance, they would have been paying the national grid £150 per megawatt hour to generate. Yeah. So, um, you know, we try and make sure that our customers never get exposed to that by locking them in in advance and securing them a price. And Christina, are there are there others doing what you're doing or elements of what, of what you're doing? Uh, there are um, a few other platforms. If you want to have a chat with them as well, I'll, I'll pass that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yes, there are. There, um, there was. Um, um, I think uh, Zygo um, was one of the platforms. Uh, they're they're sort of different because they looked at more sort of corporate uh, side of things. Um, renewable exchange. Um, so they they do a similar sort of offering. They're they're also sort of a. a a brokerage that have a, a platform, um, ePower. So that's one of the oldest platforms in the market. Yeah. Um, and um, I think they've been running for an odd 20 years or so. Um, and um, they, they've started and kicked off the whole platform for PPAs. Uh, so yeah, uh, the market is evolving. Uh, competitors like Papaya uh, are stuff, you know, we, we just come in and, and improve on everything that's been done in the past to keep the process evolving. And how are you doing uh, in terms of, I don't know, what, what stats or picture you want to share of customers or growth curve or, you know, give us a feel for, or employees or whatever the right metric is, you know. Um, so as we discussed in our sort of chat before, um, Papaya is growing organically. So we're mm. not trying to be one of those companies that's sort of hiring for the sake of it to 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 
you know, to to spend money to too much money or to to have artificial kind of growth. Yeah, so we're growing organically, um, but still, in the last three years, um, we st- if we started with just three of us. It was me and two developers, uh, two and a half years ago, and now there's thirteen of us. So we have grown pretty quickly, um, and we processed about half of gigawatt of renewable volume uh, okay. via the platform already. So it's been a pretty busy. Uh, last couple of uh, couple of years, but as you can imagine, you know, I although it's a new company, we didn't start fresh. Like you know, yep. it's, you know, I've I've been in the industry for a long time. I, I've got plenty of friends in the industry that have you know come on to support or uh, believe in the in the you know uh, the the project and and uh, so so yeah, it's although it's a new company, um, it's we've sort of got an established team that've been around for yeah. a while. Yeah. So. Okay, thanks. Um, Christine, let's move on to the second part of the discussion. And that's around your own experience in founding and growing uh, Papaya. So not many people start businesses. Um, I did, as you pointed out a long time ago, (laughs) Uh, you have. But has it always been something you wanted to do? Or was there a spark that uh, a moment that you look back on and said, ah, this is what I want to do? So um, interesting. I um, if you told me about five years ago that I would start and run my own business, I wouldn't have believed you, um, because I guess you just, um, as you said, not many people start their own businesses. Yeah. It's a massive risk. It's terrifying. Um, it's very stressful. Um, it's very rewarding as well. But it's 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 a big step to take. But I'm very grateful to one of my now investors, uh, Chris Walker. Um, he is a, an entrepreneur. Um, and I sort of he probably doesn't know that, but he's a bit of a mentor as well. Um, and um, so he, um, you know, uh, we had one of those meetings, he's uh, built a lot of wind uh, sites up in Scotland, we had a conversation at a pub, uh, when I was 23 years old, um, and I was trying to organize and structure one of his, um, you know, uh, wind PPAs. And he planted the seed and he said, Christina, you know, um, I, I was with him and uh, his lawyers and and a few mm. other friends that were involved in the project. And he said, Christina, you know, if if you ever, you know, have an idea and you can pull a team together, you know, there's there's a lot of cash in this room and he said literally there's a lot of cash in this room and um you know we'd we'd be able to pull something together and and help you i was like me you know i'm 20 like what and it was really weird but he said it and i just completely brushed it off thinking there's no way i would ever do that presumably that stuck and uh at some point you thought well i could well exactly so i think two or three years later um again i wasn't much older i was 25 Hmm. um I sort of, um, as I told you before, I worked for a small startup called Lime Jump, and then we got acquired by a big corporate uh, shell. Um, and um, you know, my I've really enjoyed my journey at a startup. And obviously, when we got acquired by Shell, it was brilliant in many, many ways because we had so much security and knowledge and everything that came with it. But it wasn't the environment that I loved, um, which is the startup environment. And and then I guess Chris Walker's <laughs> comments that he made three years. Uh, prior to to that, um, came back to me and I was like, you know, and the, I um one of the things that I said to myself is that Chris Walker is going to be one of the investors, and he is now. He's one of the majority shareholders, and he's been very good. And and I, I he probably you know what he probably doesn't even remember it, but it stuck with me because yeah. 
if the if he didn't mention it there and then, I probably I, I don't know if I would have done it because his sort of belief when I was this young to 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 say that you know we'll, we'll back you and we'll we'll help you, and they did, which is which is amazing. And does it need? Is there something about your personality? Do you think, or you know, for people listening that might be thinking, oh, you know, could I do that? Maybe that's <laughs> the wrong question. Uh, could I do that? But is there something about you or what would you if you're sitting with someone in a pub in 20 years and you're having that that conversation you're on the other side of the table what do you think it takes to actually turn that into reality what is it about you so um I guess I'm not scared to fail Mm -hmm. that's one of the um things and um I've I've seen quite a lot. I, I was brought up in a very competitive environment. Um, when I was um, back in Lithuania, um, I basically started doing ballroom dancing when I was five, four or five. And you can imagine, a, you know, Lithuanian-Russian kind of uh, atmosphere where you're, you know, pretty much dancing to save your life <laughs> it's it's um it's as you I don't know how to put it in proper words but it's Lithuanians take things very seriously so like my family took ballroom very seriously it was like into competitions training every single day since the age of five um sometimes twice a day would send me to camps for like where I would train three times a day competitions every weekend so I've had so I don't know that work ethics and obviously with ballroom it taught me that you do need to work really hard to get what you want so you're very you're you're very driven i think that's that's it um yeah driven and i think that compet that just very competitive um i enjoy um being under pressure and yeah. um i don't mind failing because it's just part of the journey and that's i guess that's what helps yeah anything else you'd bring out i mean we talked about me um leaving lithuania at the age of 15 um, which was interesting because I decided that I wanted to be a famous actress and uh, I was already getting old at the age of 15 and I needed to <laughs> spread my wings. You were, you were in a hurry. I was in a hurry. I always felt like I'm getting old really fast and I need to hurry up to achieve uh, what I need to achieve. So um, I persuaded my mum to let me go and leave the country by myself at the age of 15 and start a new life in England. Um, so I think becoming quite independent at a very early age. So, uh, you know, I was um, go preparing myself for school. Got when I got home, I used to you know cook um, mm. and eat, and I even got a, I had a job at a pub where I was washing dishes after school and everything. You know, I sort of had to completely look after myself from a very young age, and um, I think that helped uh, as yeah. well. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there's something in bravery in what you just said. And I remember talking to uh, a person, he was a board director of SSE, and he worked with us at before LCP Delta, when we were Delta EE, in our early years, he worked with us. And I remember asking him, what did you do to, what was it about you that enabled you to get on the board of SSE? And he said, John, every position I had, I just worked out how to do it well. And I just stuck at it. And... I did it well and people said okay you've got another job here and got promoted and he just kept on doing that looking at what was needed at the time and working out what to do and getting on with it 
And that sounds quite similar to you in a way. It's, you could see that's incredibly brave, but maybe at the time you just thought, well, I need a job. I'll, where do I get a job? I'll get on with it. Yeah. I um, think one thing that I always tell um, sort of my employees and my team is that you when they you know it's, they have to do a job that they don't like or or things are hard i've done so so many jobs uh before i got into sort of the energy industry you know i worked as a waitress i washed dishes i mm. i worked at like zara as a sales you know i've done i worked as a chef at uni <laughs> and um i loved and enjoyed every single job that i did and i wanted to be the best at every single job that i did i i went with an attitude where I wanted that golden star at yeah. every single sort of end of the day, yeah. and um, and I think that you can just you know I think it's the attitude. You just you can love anything that you do, and um, a job doesn't have to be a burden, and it doesn't yeah. have to be hard. So and um, any job, and that's what I sort of you know I loved working at Zara, yeah. long yeah. hours. Yeah kitchen as well you learn so much and I think it's just um one thing I kept even though things got quite tough at times because just being on your own at the age of 15 16 in, in the UK where you know the food's different the culture's different I didn't speak very good English at all I had to translate most of the books I read to be able to do my homework it was it was tough but I think one thing I just it's always a positive outcome and you just I just kept reminding myself how good this is what I'm doing and just keeping it positive. And I think that's what sort of got me through um, and to where I am now. So just keeping it positive. Yeah. Attitude. I think mindset, attitude and mindset is a great, great summary of that. Um, can I ask you one last question before we bring up the talking new energy crystal ball? So um, from a gender perspective, now the energy sector is still quite male dominated as many sectors are. Um has being a woman in a male-dominated sector been a hindrance? Has it been a challenge? Or you tell us a bit about uh, about that. So I think there's a, a couple of barriers that you have to first of overcome. So one of the things that, um, and I've mentioned it before, is for me to, especially if you can imagine, it's not even uh, the being a female. I think it's an age thing as well me because uh, you know starting a, um, at Lime Jump when I was 22 I believe and then when you're at a startup and you get exposed to sort of quite large deals pretty early on in your career um, and having to you know go into a room of you know five 50 plus year old men that have been in the industry for like 20 plus years and persuade them that you know what you're talking about can be a challenge and I did mm. find it challenging uh, but and um, I did feel like um, you know my male colleagues would walk in and they would sort of immediately have the respect. Um, so you have to work harder to get that And respect. I had to work a little bit harder. It would take me 10 to 15 minutes to persuade uh, the room that I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I guess one thing is I couldn't really afford not to know something. So I had to work extra hard to to sort of, uh, you know, to, to be able to answer all the questions that are going to be thrown my way. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's um, but it's also a positive thing you know being um a, a young female because you stand out yeah and people you know tend to come up and and talk to you and um and you know sometimes it makes business easier <laughs> so so any advice you give to other women who are starting out their careers in the energy sector don't get put off by anything um 
if you get any comments, which I did as well, um, and still do, um, you know, uh, be vocal and 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 um, you know, call it out at the on at the time. Don't don't be shy about sort of saying anything. It's it happens less and less. It's been so such a change in the last you know five, ten five years. But um, just one thing is just know your stuff and keep going, and you will get wherever you need to be. Nothing's going to stop you. Um, I don't think there's a, a glass ceiling uh, necessarily. Um, anything can be achieved with hard work and dedication and the confidence. I don't think anything uh, will block or, or or stop you if you've got that, you know, you set your mind on something. Thanks, Christina. Now let's bring out the Talking New Energy crystal ball and look into the future. Uh, setting the dial this week to 2030, seven years away. And our question for you in 2030, uh, what does papaya look like in 2030? And can you give me three ways the market for PPAs has changed between now and 2030? Very hard question. Very always, hard. They always are the crystal ball ones. Um, so one thing we will probably see in the next five to seven years, and we're seeing that now, is that we're gonna we're going to have to learn to work with the volatility um, a lot more than we are now. Um, we're definitely, as we're seeing now already, um, with the negative prices, and that wasn't the case five years ago. So um, we're we're gonna have to start to. Um, know how to manage the renewable power with more and more on offshore wind coming online. Mm. Um, it's going to be um, uh, very hard to get the new projects off the ground when, if unless there is some sort of guaranteed um, uh, support there, and yeah. um, it might not come from the market. It might have yeah. to be some sort of corporates, or it might have to be a CFD or, or government support to to encourage the build because the prices might not. Um, support yeah. uh, those kind of technologies more batteries i mean what we're gonna what we're gonna have to do i don't think uh, we'll be allowed to necessarily build more intermittent generation unless it has some sort of flexible support to to be able to manage it and that could be physically with the asset or it could be commercially with the asset i guess that's right yeah so um i you know it you could either put a battery in, um together with a wind uh turbine or um, you know, wind is going to be uh, going to have to be pretty flexible about being turned off. You know, uh, across uh, the entire country and yeah. not just transmission connected, or or demand side response or electrolyzers or some form of storage exactly. that can smooth it out. Yeah, we're just going to have to really be a lot more flexible about how because if you can imagine with all these offshore wind um, sort of sites coming online the next five to ten years it's going to be pretty drastic yeah. uh, change on the system and yeah. it's an intermittent change yeah uh, so uh, so battery storage is going to be absolute key um and you can imagine what it's going to do to prices the negative the negative will be exaggerated the the you know when the wind is not blowing the positives will be exaggerated yeah well so, um there's going to be a lot more merchant opportunities that we're sort of hoping for as well and we're going to need technologies to take take advantage of that so volatility batteries um coping with the highs and the lows what about papaya what's uh what's your well, vision for papaya by 2030 take over the world 
um, internationalize or how big or what's your dream? Well, um, exactly. I think we want to, um, I'm trying not to put too much pressure and think too big, but obviously we've got um, uh, worst of, I'm trying to take it one step at a time. But um, of course, we'd want to um, expand internationally. We've we've already entered Ireland, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm very excited about. And um, with obviously uh, solar um, being very popular in Spain and Italy, uh, as probably the next markets and um, US and and everywhere, yeah. Um, The world's our oyster. Uh, we're hoping uh, to obviously expand the products that we're going to be offering as well. Mm-hmm. So because the market, the energy market is big. And um, looking back from 2030, what was the, the most important thing to achieving that vision? Um, keep the culture as good as it um, is right now and keep it. Um, <laughs> make Make the journey as fun as it can possibly be. Yeah. As, as as soon as we're not having fun, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. So that's what I'm just trying to do to get um, every person to to enjoy themselves during this journey. And the end goal doesn't really matter what I realized. And I think you might know that as well from your experience of still growing a business. And then, you know, when you sell, mm. it's, you know, you, you sort of sat there, you know, 10 years ago thinking, what's my end goal? Oh, you know, I want to become rich. I want to sell the company and and retire. And then you look back and think, you know what, achieving something at the end doesn't matter at all if you didn't have a good time doing it in yeah. those, you know, that 10 years time. So what I want to make sure, and I always tell my team, and I loved my time at Lime Jump, I loved it, that Eric and Ning, the co-founders, they made it so fun for us. We were the closest team, and I wanted to do exactly the same because really cash doesn't matter. The multinational growth, yeah, it's good fun, but it's you know, it's it's really about having that really close friends and community within the business and just having the best time you possibly can. And trust me, when you enjoy what you do, it's going to be successful anyway. Um, so that's what I'm sort of trying to do with the team. And I keep keep telling them it's a game. I'm top to uh, stop. To, I keep telling myself that as well when I'm really, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a game like what, you know, we can't get stressed about this kind of stuff. And will it matter in five years time? You know, of course, we want to be big and successful, and like only time will tell. Them, but like, we're obviously heading for that, and we've done really well so far. Um, and m- you know, my brain keeps spinning about different products we're going to introduce, about different things we're going to do. But really, I just want to keep it fun, um, yeah. and, and and exciting and positive, and not too stressful if I can. <laughs> I think the the words I use often is having a spring in your step on the way to work, and whether that's actually on the way to work these days or on your way to wherever you work at home or... spare bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to look forward to that you want to think yeah I like the work I like the people I like you know I have a laugh uh, for some people that form their best friendships relationships at work others it will just be nice people to hang out with so I agree I think having that spring in your step throwing yourself into something you love um, probably I would say having that broad that long-term ambition the the mountaintop you're aiming for the lighthouse that's guiding you the, the big hairy audacious goal whatever it is that um, that you're aiming at as well yeah no I agree and uh, when do you think for you because obviously you grew a business quite a lot when did you start to sort of um when the culture started to to change a little bit how many people did you hit uh and well I heard of- you keep it I heard a phrase, culture is really fluid when a company is young. 
but then when you reach a certain point, it sort of uh, solidifies and gets harder to change. Um, so while that's true, I think the culture evolves a bit with size. I think the time when you're 13, everyone knows each other, can go to the pub together, uh, gets to know each other quite well. When you get to a point when you just become a size that not everyone knows each other to the same degree. But I think if you've got that culture of supporting each other, respecting each other, helping each other, that collaborative, nurturing, fun culture, then that can survive any numbers. That's my experience so far. I think for me, it's um, end of the day sort of um, and how we work and what I promote with sort of customers as well. It's just stay kind and stay um, reliable. I think reliability and kindness takes you quite Mm. a long way. People think that, you know, some people will take advantage of that and you learn um, as you as you grow. But you know what? that's why papaya has been successful and people that worked with me in the past and people that i helped in the past you know like even the 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 customers that ended up investing in papaya i i think they just trusted me as a person Mm. and believed in me as a person because i made sure that even when i couldn't deliver something it was done with transparency and um with sort of kindness is probably not a good word but it's sort of more care and, I think and, it is. I think it is quite a good word. Treat other people like you'd like to be treated. Exactly. Uh, be, be open. Avoid a blame culture. Um, I think kindness sums a lot of that up. Yeah. No hot potatoes. Well, Christina, we could talk a lot more about experiences, uh, but we better draw it to a close there. Um, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed the discussion, and hope everyone listening enjoyed the episode and has taken something from it. Uh, If you've got ideas for future episodes, please send them to talkingnewenergy at lcp.com. And you can also follow us on social media and rate us as well if you'd like to rate us. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week. Bye-bye. If you enjoy the podcast, then please rate it and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then you can keep in touch with us and look at our research insights podcast transcripts and download reports all at www.lcpdelta.com.